Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Actor's Choice where the actors and actresses have a chance to talk about themselves and their careers. Join us now for the next hour as we explore the marvelous industry of acting by actors and actresses from today's exciting show business world. And now, direct from Hollywood, here's your host, Ron Brewington. Hi everybody, I'm Ron Brewington and welcome to the Actors' Choice. Roll it, Tony. My name is Joyce Talbert, and I was a Soul Train dancer from 1983 to 1988. My name is Monica Santiago. I was a Soul Train dancer from 1984 to 1988. Ladies and gentlemen, back in the late 80s, a young lady began her career in the entertainment industry in high school as a Motown recording artist in the group, the group called The Good Girls. After five years as a recording artist and having a thirst to gain a better understanding to the dynamics of the music recording industry, uh-huh, she enrolled in music publishing courses at UCLA. Today, years later, that lady is here on the show today. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome former the good girls, Demonica Santiago. Greetings, Demonica, and welcome to the Actors' Choice. So glad thank to see you. Thank you. So thank you for glad having to see me. You. So, where was you born at? I was born in Anchorage, Alaska. Anchorage, Alaska. I've been out there. Yeah, there it is. A lot of, thank you for telling Tony. That's beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? Look at that. Oh, the fishing is great out there. It's it's beautiful out there. Loved it out there. I was in the Navy station out there. But I just want to say, later, oh, okay, yeah, I was in the Navy and I had a, they they sent me to a little place called um, uh, Adak, Alaska, out in the Aleutian Islands, which was a lot of fun, a lot, mm. a lot of fun. Met wow, a lot of people and, and yeah. uh, you know, ate, got got good food and all that good stuff. So, getting uh -huh. ready to it, what made you, uh, you know, get into this business? Um, it was by, oh gosh, let me see how to sum it up a little bit. Well, there's two things. One, I was born in the music industry. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of my father. My father played keyboards for a lot of people, a lot of artists in the industry. Um, one of the reasons I was born and one of the ways I was born in Anchorage, Alaska, mm -hmm. was because my father happened to be performing there with Etta James. My father played keyboards by ear. So he started in the music business at around the age of 14, playing behind people such as Etta James or playing with the likes of Etta James, people Etta James, um, Ike and Tina Turner, Billy Preston, Rolling Stones. So he played with a lot of industry um, entertainers in the industry prior to me being born and during my growing up. So that's how I actually ended up being in the music industry. That was not my aim originally. I wanted to be a psychiatrist, to be honest. Um, that was my goal at one time was to be a psychiatrist. I, uh, I always called myself a nerd because I was really heavy in education and me and my cousins we competed to be on the honor roll so 
so that was the highlight of my life. But what happened, I ended up meeting a girlfriend of mine by the name of Joyce Talbert, and we met in middle school. So we met actually through a mutual boyfriend at that time, which when you're in middle school, um, being having a boyfriend, it's just holding hands. So at one time I was with Bo and then I wasn't with Bo. <laughs> so Bo introduced me to Joyce. From there, Joyce had actually been in different singing groups, but the one she happened to be in didn't work out. And I was there with her to say, hey, you know what? That one didn't work out. But I know a lot of people in the industry. We come across a lot of people because one, I was already in the business through my family. And at the same time, when I met Joyce, we have formed a Dapper Girl group. Um, she actually formed it, and I was part of this dance group that she was in. So in turn, from there, we met a person named Wayman Anderson Suave. And from there, I met Jonathan Clark. And when she was no longer doing that group and it didn't work out, I approached Jonathan Clark and asked him what would he think about managing a three-girl singing dance group. Yeah, and at that point is when Jonathan said, hey, bring you guys by. And we went from there. <laughs> Yeah. So that's how it, it started in a, in a try to bring it down to a small summary of how it that. started with us. And I <laughs> Very hope you're listening. Yes, because this is the truth. I mean, age is a factor here. You are in high school, and but you want to do something yeah. else. Your parents say, wait, 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 hold up, hold up now. You know, uh, girl, you're going to get you some, girl, go get you some education. We didn't, didn't think about no dancing and singing and all that. They ain't thinking about that. Am I right? They weren't. They, did, they weren't happy about it, actually. I had to kind of... Um, huh sneak to do it. My family was not happy about it. One, because I was already growing up in it. So in their minds, they said, you already know what this is about. Why are you doing this when you are very smart? You, you know, planning to be a psychiatrist, you know, I'm getting A's, straight A's and B's. Why are you doing the music business? So I did have to sneak to do it. I, I really didn't tell my family, parents until probably by the time we were signed, where they had to kind of come because of our age. So, um, I had to try to sneak and then come up with a plan, which is how I became, started working behind the scenes as well. My whole thing to my family was, I know about the music business, but I have a plan. My goal is, I'm not just going to be an artist. I'm going to study the music business and go behind the scenes. Gotcha. And that's how I was able to work that understanding with my family, that I wasn't just going to be an artist. Okay. They say having a talent is like, you know, trying to get a J-O-B. It's, it's difficult, is it not? Yes, um, it's not as easy for us getting a record deal. We were blessed. Um, and you almost want to say that privilege thing because it's not that easy getting a record deal or getting in this business or even maintaining it and sustaining. Um, it happened pretty easy for us. We were lucky, one, because I had the relationships. We had the relationships already in place. Um, our manager had the relationships in place, so that made it a little bit easier. Um, getting a job after the singing career helped well, for me, again, because I was studying the business while I was in the group, I already had plans in place. So I already started putting together, like I started having um, where I had uh, advisors, that people where I was interning and I had advisors. So I, I took on those people to help me, you know, my, um, what do you call it, mentors. I set up mentors for me in all the different areas. So I could make sure that once the group was done, if we weren't doing anymore, I had a backup plan. So, and there was a few areas that I did. It wasn't just, I didn't start straight into publishing. Publishing was one of my mentors. I had a person that um, handled publishing. So he was one of my mentors, one that handled sales, um, marketing, because I wasn't quite sure where I wanted to go and management. So I also put together a group 
after um, we were a group, but I decided to kind of go into publishing because numbers was my forte. So, but in, again, based off of relationships, there's always a lot of it deals with relationships. If I hadn't started establishing those relationships within a group or making those friendships while singing, it might've been a little bit more difficult for me. But because I had those relationships and I kept good relationships, I was able to make calls and say, hey, you know, I want to learn more about the music business. Can I come work for you? You know, can I intern for you? You know, you don't have to pay me what you normally pay. I, I just really want to learn. So and um, I did that a lot. I did a lot of internships. Um, I also did, I worked with, uh, what do you call it, like the Apple placements where they place you in jobs too, because I still also wanted to learn other areas outside the music business. So I was quite sure because again we started young and in high school so I didn't get a chance to explore the world yet so I said I think I want to stay in the music business possibly I did start studying it but at the same time let me go temp so I signed up with a temp agency to learn my my skills my Microsoft Word Excel because I didn't have any of those secretary skills I didn't really know how to turn on a computer you know because again we went straight from school to the group um, luckily I did finish I got a chance to still go through school while we were in the group but I didn't get a chance to explore outside afterwards so I did the temping and I again had my mentors so the temping put me in Brentwood to learn other um, areas of the world like a company I temp for started their own mailing company you know another one had their own um, green card company so I went to work for people who started their own businesses so I can kind of have a feel you know how you put yourself around like-minded people so I knew I wanted to run my own business. So I wanted to be around people who did that same thing so they can teach me and I can see other areas. But then I, again, because of my love for numbers, publishing, where I knew um, the money lied, where yes. when it comes to the record business, was, and especially growing up in it, seeing how all these great artists had so much money and then didn't have any money anymore. And they were so, you know, not that they were so busy, but they were focused on trusting and being that performer not knowing how it works with collecting your royalties and getting paid and which, what kind of contracts you were signing and agreements. So I got a chance to say, you know what, I'm going to go in that area where since I love numbers and that's considered like the Bible of the music industry, I want to go learn that. So, and I said, I want to learn it so I can also bring it back to um, people. But also one of my mentors suggested it because at the same time, sample clearancing, samples were getting ready to hit. We had um, gangster rap. We had um, NWA. So it was starting to blow up. So my mentor, who was in publishing, when he had me to uh, sign up at UCLA and take publishing courses, said, start a sample clearance company. I was like, what is that? <laughs> He's like, you're interning at a publishing company. You're going to school for publishing. Figure it out. So, and because it was something new to the industry, he didn't actually know yet either. It was a, a new norm, like how social media is a new norm, where certain things and us collecting royalties is new for us and how this works. Sample sampling was new, so when he had me start my sampling clearance company, luckily I at that time when I did start that, I happened to be dating someone that happened to have his own publishing catalog. So he helped me a little bit with my um, letters and learning that area as well. So I was interning. I happened to be dating someone that had his their own catalog, and then um, I was going to college for it as well. So and from there is where I started building my sample clearance and my publishing company and sync licensing. Um, and then also being able to give back and teach because there, that is one of the areas that it goes unrecognized. People are looking at it now based off of the pandemic because once the pandemic hit, um, people started searching for money. And that's when, again, I added more uh, services to my, um, my uh, roster. 
and I started looking at unclaimed royalties because a lot of friends who were friends that were all artists back in the day were now coming saying, hey, you know what? I know there's some money out there for me because now they couldn't work. They couldn't go on the road. So they're like, they needed to find other ways of getting money. And that's where it came about where I was teaching them saying, wow, you only signed up with a PRO. You haven't signed up with any other collection agency. Or they received their publishing back um, where it was no longer with Warner Chapel Universal, but Universal Warner Chapel didn't teach them, oh, you need to go register and keep this up with the collection agencies, update your information, your address. So all of that came to play. And then there's a, a limit on how far you can go back though. You know, but again, through all this stuff, again, with the new social media, with these new platforms, the iTunes, Amazon, which is why laws were put into place, like the MMRA, where all of a sudden iTunes and um, Amazon, they were keeping the money because a lot of these writers hadn't updated their information. So these are things that I was able to go back and teach, but only based off of one, again, publishing is not the most simplest thing to learn. Luckily, I had started learning it from a kid because as it keeps evolving, evolving, it gets, it can get more complicated. So it's like, I luckily I have a base. So every time there's something new that happens, like social media, or we find out that Amazon and iTunes, we have to create a, a software, an app, um, a place, a collection agency for writers to go get their money that is only held in a black box for X amount of years, you know, um, but at least it's being there for them to learn and find out about that they have to go register their uh, information so they can collect it. Because again, that's still a thing I keep seeing. I go, these writers, unless they Google and say, hey, what do I need to do? It's still not there. We don't have the avenues to still teach. Like it's a, it's, it's a good thing doing this interview because you give me an outlet to say to people to say, hey, you know what? If you're writing, if you're a musician, it's very important to go register your work, register your, your songs. And that just with a PRO, a performance yeah. rights organization, not just with ASCAP or BMI, but with all the collection agencies, because people get that confused. They think a PRO is their, is their publishing company. It's a collection society that collects only performance royalties. So there's all these things that we tend to need to know. And then there's some people who are coming in new thinking that this song trust is not is that SongTrust is a collection agency. SongTrust is not a collection agency. It's an administering company, just like a, a Universal or Warner Chapel. So I just had this discussion with someone last week who said, well, SongTrust is part of registering collections, your um, royalties or your songs. Okay. Well, yeah, you can register with SongTrust if you sign up with them as your administering company, but yes. you can also do it on your own. That's the misinformation that I don't like that's getting out there, that SongTrust comes across like, they're a collection agency and that you have to collect with them. I got into a big discussion argument sort of with this guy who claimed he knew. He's like, well, they collected all my royalties and I got platinum albums, et cetera, et cetera. Well, yeah, they collected it because you signed up with them as your administrating company. That's like signing up with Universal if they gave you a, a, a deal or Warner Chapel. At the same time, you can go do it yourself. They're now collecting and acting as your publisher when you can act as your own publisher and sign up with these collection agencies and collect directly and not have to give up that percentage or that money to them. But some people feel they know everything. So it's just, it's one of those things I keep seeing going through social media that's really irritating me and people aren't reading what they're signing up with. It's like, that is not a collection agency. And it says it on their site. It, it does not say they're a collection agency. It just says, we can help you collect your royalties, you know, and blah, blah, blah. But for some reason, we tend to go promote this company. And that's what I don't like because we already give up enough of our money. Gotcha. We already get pimped enough, you know? So 
if we could just do a little extra reading and realize we don't have to give up things everywhere. You can do it already directly yourself. Just ask questions or Google or like I'm here. You know, I've got people who come to me and they'll say, hey, to Monica, trying to sign up here and sign up there. And I'll say, okay, this is what you need to do and do it this way. But you can do it on your own or you can go ahead and sign up with them and they can look and can collect it on your behalf. But understand what you're doing. So, um, yes. So there you go. There you <laughs> I can talk about this all day long because it's very passionate. Ron, and it, it hurts me when I see us giving up money, and it hurts me that I've dealt yes. with this just last week yes. with someone who sat there and argued with me about this company. You know, or when I go online and I see what they do, everybody thinks it's part of a collection society. And in that reading, it clearly or clearly understanding is not one of the collection societies. It is an administrating company that collects on your behalf if you sign up for them, and they're going to take a share from you, as opposed to you going directly, as opposed to them saying, hey, you can do this on your own, or you can sign up with me, and educating the public, just let them know they can do it both ways, you can do it this way, or you can do it that way, but they're not going to do that, because they want to make sure that they get theirs, you know, and I'm not, you know, I can't, what do you call it, fault that, but I just want people to know and understand what they are signing up with, and what, and what it does, and I'm sure they'll know that, too, again, they don't fall anything they put it in writing we're administrating company we act on behalf you know blah 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 you know which i try to tell someone i wikipedia he's like oh don't believe in wikipedia i go okay then go to their site <laughs> you know they're the ones putting this stuff out there but it's just it's very again like i said it's passionate for me because again i just went through this argument with someone last week where i just stayed and said okay you do how you want to do i can't fight and argue and i'm not going to sit here and try to lobby or mm-hmm. defend if, if they work well for you that is good just as long as you know which what they are and who they are, so and what you're giving up and what you can do on your own. So and that's sad on that, but yeah, publishing is very important right now because independent everybody's putting out their records themselves. Yeah. And if it was that easy, um, right, there would be no record companies from before. There would have been no Motown and RCA. They wouldn't have had a staff. It would have been just Barry Gordy doing it by himself and BMG whoever's running that doing it by themselves. It'd be a one-person company. That's why you, it's clear and you have to know what you're doing when you're putting out a record and clearly understand the record business and understand why there are different avenues and parts to a record company. You know, and the main thing is making sure you're collecting those royalties as you're understanding and before you put out a release. Yes. So. We got a few more minutes late, early. I uh, just want to let you know, uh, <laughs> before we get out of here, let me ask you about being on Motown. What was that like? Who was okay. some of your favorite Motown people? Oh, I, I love being on Motown. One, we got a chance to be on a legendary company, um, yes. a, a company that has made such an impact in the world and Black-owned, you know, to be started by Barry Gordy. It yes. changed as time went by, but it still has that legacy. And we got a chance to be on their Motown box. So that was, it, it, it was like, it was heaven. Um, I can't even kind of put words to it because, again, we were young and it was just, it was a dream come true. So, um the artists on there, the, some of the ones I got a chance to meet that I watched growing up was like Smokey Robinson, seeing Smokey Robinson in person. Because I never got a chance to see him in person when my father played his music. Yeah, it was one person he did not play with. So yeah. to see him there, it's like, oh, wow, Smokey. Um, I was around the DeBarges, but again, seeing L as an artist on the label, it's like, wow, L, you know, I grew up and was around you performing mm-hmm. the music, and now I'm sitting next to you, you know, or being on the charts, on the Billboard charts, 
with names like Janet Jackson. And here we are, number four on the charts, and there's Janet one. It's like, oh, my God, we're on the same chart. So things like that, it was it was amazing. It was very amazing. And meeting Janet's sister, Rebe, and the kids when Rebe came up to the label. So um, it was it was a great experience and so much fun. And um, and then having our brothers, not even just the artists on Motown, but meeting everyone as we grew up in the industry. So like the, um, I'll be sure that the Teddy Riley's like having all those people around us was a pleasure um, growing up and being around. And even today being around artists again that have redone themselves, like even like D-Nice, it's like everyone, we get a chance to kind of see people start and then reinvent and grow and branch out. So those types of things, it feels good to know that we all started as a kid from one area and we're still around each other today you know so um and everybody's still growing and and, and living and 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 branching out even Wu-Tang just to work on that project from the music administration side to know them as an artist to watch um RZA have his own company on Hulu and to be on the phone with him and have conference calls on how which songs need to go into this show and how he directs and it's just it's amazing it's so amazing to see all of at one time be kids to now be adults and have families and also have friends out from that career so it, it felt good <laughs> i can't it, it touches my heart and it feels gotcha. it's, it's warm i love it <laughs> well before you leave before you get out of here we'd like mm-hmm. to show you and everybody yes. a video it's called the good girls a music video from 1992 roll it tony mm. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just seen The Good Girls. And Demonic and Marvelous, I say, great having you on our program today. What a strong story. And others who want to get into the industry can learn. But please do come back again and best of luck to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, Demonica Santiago. This is the Actors' Choice. I'm your host, Ron Brewington. Roll it, Tony. We would like to let you know that we are asking the Actors' Choice Squad to help us get former baseball player Kurt Flood into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Now, Kurt passed away January 20th, 1997, was the husband of one of our wonderful guests, renowned actor Judy Pays. All you got to do is give us a call, contact our office at 213-349-3941. That's 213-349-3941. We sincerely thank each and every one of you for being a part of this magnificent award for a great baseball player. Okay, okay, roll it, Tony. Ladies and gentlemen, do you want to, do you want to, do you want to get into broadcasting? I ask that question all the time because it's a very important question that should be answered. Have you ever thought about getting into broadcasting? You know, the money is good. You meet a lot of people. You go to different places. Just a start. I want to tell you about a class I teach over at Santa Monica College. I've been there for over 20 years, and we can offer you the skills of broadcasting, announcing, and production. Okay? How do you get there? Just give me a call, five two, uh, correction, 323-533-1036. That's 323-533-1036. Okay? We meet two, day, two times a week, Tuesday and Thursday. Give me a call, 323-533-1036. Do you want to, do you want to, do you want to get into broadcasting, okay? Okay. Roll it, Tony. 
information about the TAC Road Pro channel, please give us a call at 213-349-3941. It's 213-349-3941. Okay? Thank you, folks. Roller Tony. Lawyer. Andrew, don't say another word. We're done talking. Excuse me. I've already told you he's done talking. Okay. Well, we can still hold him here for another four okay, hours. I didn't kill anyone. Andrew. I can talk. I don't have anything to hide. Were you there last night? No. Andrew, stop. You are looking at a little over 2,000 square feet of prime real estate in one of the most sought-after neighborhoods in the city. Please tell me this comes with the place. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest today has appeared off-Broadway as Ginger in Lancelot at Jutson Gym. Her TV roles include guest and co-starring roles on Bull, one of my favorite movies, TV shows, Manifest, FBI and Law and Order, and others. She appeared in numerous independent films, most recently as Agent Farrow in The Good Eye. I could go on and on and on with this extremely talented lady. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Romy Norlinga. Thanks, for <laughs> Romy. Did I get that right? Rolinga. You did, Ron. Beautiful. I, be, I worked with, with your publicist. Uh, yes, I must say I worked with your publicist. She said, Ron, let's sit down and go over, get this, get that. I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> this is how she we do great. it. Lucy Pollock Publicity. Today. Thank you. Yes. What a bio you have, madam. It would take me half a day to read it all. But before we get started, please tell me, where were you born? Well, uh, I have lived in New York City for a long time, so I consider myself now a native New Yorker. However, I was born in Richmond, Virginia. Virginia. Um, which, Virginia's for lovers. Virginia's for lovers. You got right. it. You got yes. it. Um, <laughs> it's a beautiful city. Um, beautiful city, but uh, a little a little stuck in their past. Um, yeah. yeah. But uh, they tore down those monuments on Monument Avenue. Yes. It was quite breathtaking. Um, Stonewall Jackson, all those Confederate heroes. We could go on. They're not heroes. They're villains. And so now they're in a museum or wherever the heck they should be to be seen as the, the war criminals they are. Anyway, I'm not going to get political, but that was a beautiful moment. <laughs> I love Richmond, though. I hate you. Uh, in fact, when I was in the, I was in the Navy and they sent me to a community college school up there in right around right Virginia there, and I had a great time. And I think the first lady, she's a teacher in that school right now. Oh, yes, yes. she is, isn't she? Annandale, Arendale, is that the name of the school? I believe it was. Yes. 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 Okay. Uh, and Richmond is particularly beautiful. Oh yes, beautiful city, beautiful city. Yeah. Here's my favorite question for you, madam. What made you get into acting? What, what was that? Oh, well, that's a good one. You know, I'm going to give you the proverbial answer, too, which is... Hit me, hit me. A stage mama. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that's the classic story, isn't it? Um, and I know, uh, well, she became a, a quite a famous political figure um, mm -hmm. fighting for uh, feminist issues in, in Richmond, Virginia, um, and, and uh, uh, pro-rights uh pro-choice but at any rate um I think she had always aspired to be sort of a, an actor and then she uh took us to 
politicians as kids and me, my uh, two sisters. And I was the only one that stuck with it because I was the only one crazy enough. <laughs> um, and at, just like everybody always says, when that was in Richmond, Virginia, I was doing um, musicals, which I don't do anymore, and radio commercials. And um, But as they say, it, it, if you love it, you can't help but do it. Um, you just can't help but do it. You have to, well, or at least for me, you have to do what you love. Yes. Um, not always easy, <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> yeah, that thing, put that finger out there for sure. Uh, where, where did you get your acting training? Well, that's a good question also. I mean, at, you know, as a child, finding my feet, so to speak, on just being on stage, which is a whole, uh, you know, it's, it's an enormous thing to get on a stage. And so that that was good. And then um, some different um, summer camps in Richmond, Virginia. And then I went on to the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, which is a great, uh, a great school, a great program. Um, not just for theater, but it's the only university devoted exclusively to the arts. So it is, it is just a, a whole world. You're not, you're not taking classes like in some conservatories where you're getting your degree in theater and then they make you take, I don't know, science or something. It's nothing wrong with that, but everything is immersed in theater, in music, in dance, yes. in you know, so um, some of the greatest teachers uh, at that school. So I would just, uh, and also for me, it was a good intermediary ground between uh, living in Philly from Richmond, Virginia, and then living in New York City. So um, it was a great sort of um, intermediary ground before I decided to thrust myself into the big city of New York. Okay. I like Speaking of New York, if I may interrupt for just a second. I am was born and raised in New York City in Harlem. Okay. Oh. When you say New York City, you get my attention, but here's a test, a test of a genuine oh, 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 New York um, City person. Are you ready? Uh, Are you ready? You only have so much time. Uh, uh, my tail. Okay. A true New Yorker eats hot dogs with sauerkraut and mustard or sauerkraut and onions, right? Yes. But never puts cut ketchup on it. Never puts ketchup on it. Never. <laughs> so you are, you are right. I don't know what that's about, but those great kiosks on the street. Oh, oh God, you're making my oh, mouth water. I'm, what you said. Oh, I mean, I don't care what they do to you after they're worth it. And now I'm vegetarian. And, you know, I got to say those those tofu dogs are good, but they, they ain't that. And once you put that sauerkraut and the, on the mustard, oh. so you're right. And Harlem, I'm here, I love Harlem. I live in Washington Heights. So I live up past where your nose bleeds, you know, um, up in the first block of the Heights. And I love it up there. It's a melting pot, you know, and and I just want to be... Uh, I, yeah, I could go on about New York, as you can see, I can talk and talk, but New York has changed a lot. And I'm, you know, like to be in a place where there's diversity and that is Washington Heights, Harlem, these places still have some heart. Got you. Got you. You're a playwright. 
Where do you get ideas for a play? Recently have started writing plays. Um, I think the ideas, they germinate in you. And I don't know if it's been the same for you, um, but I feel once you get an idea, they start to grow. Um, and they live with you. And, and it's just like when you love a play or a, or a book and it captures your imagination. Um, and, and my husband, who is a wonderful writer, urged me, he said, you know, you, you can write, but write down those thoughts when they happen. Don't care what they are. You may think they're nothing. Write them down, put them in a file. I sometimes send an email to myself and then, because I'm pretty low tech that way, and then I'll put them in a file like that was this project. This is this project. You look back and you realize there's an arc and uh, they, they germinate. They, they start to grow just like any or organic thing. Um, and they different reasons like the solo show I'm doing now became a, a labor of love, um, sort of, a, you know, just a, this character I had to speak about. So that was a different reason uh, to do this play, whereas the screenplay I just wrote had been something that I was dealing with in dealing with the, the loss of my mother. And that was became and Christmas time and some surreal figures and that became its own thing too. So there are different reasons, I guess. And and I guess for the the message I would say, which is not, which is I'm constantly growing and I'm just, you know, always finding my feet and always brand new, is just write it down. It's real, you know? Like I said, in your bio, you've got so much stuff. For example, has 350 audio books, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, 400 now, I think, or more. <laughs> I'm a big talker, as you can see. <laughs> you've won awards, you're teaching artists. When do you, what do you do? When do you, what, how do you do it? How you do know, you some people, and, and I'm going to say, I think a lot of people, uh, I won't say who think, you know, why are you, what are you doing? You know, why? And uh, I think the answer would be, be, again, because you can't help and when really, uh, audiobooks um, are, I like doing them some more than others. Um, they take a lot of energy and dexterity of the voice and being a, a good reader, but they pay. So I have to find time for them. <laughs> um, the rest of it. The rest of it is, is it's a challenge. It's a challenge. I'm not going to kid you. It is a challenge. Um, and I'm going to say that the character that I'm playing right now in the Garden of Allah about this unsung heroine um, who's real, Alan Azimova, here in Los Angeles. Um, and again, I live in New York City. Um, she understood her life through the lens of art. And she was happiest when she was creating. And that's one... I think feel like she's sort of my my meta. She's somebody that I I understand that. So she's happiest when she's doing something that makes sense to her and creating something. So with that in mind, you it it keeps you going, even if it's not giving you money sometimes, which 
you know, look, I, I think the statistics are at at 1% of actors or less are making a living at any given time. Um, you know, so you do it because you love it. And that's how you find the time. Not easy. Well, you came here today to hear and show with us the Garden of Allah, the Allah Nazanaba. And that I, I'm going to do one day, I'm going to do a video of everybody's pronunciation because you did an admirable job. I have heard every pronunciation and why Why should we know it? It's a, it's a Russian name and it's Nazimova. But that was a beautiful flourish you put on it. Allah Nazimova. Um, and yeah, I mean. You ready? You ready for, for the video? Here we go, Tony. Roll it, Tony. This one you love. Oh. <laughs> you are looking at a little over 2,000 square feet of prime real estate. The 1920s was the time of flappers, flamboyance, and the face of Allah Nazimaba, the most famous star you have never heard of and one of the most visionary artists of the 20th century. Hi, I'm Romy Nordlinger, actress and playwright of the critically acclaimed solo show, Garden of Allah, a Broadway theater named after her, the highest paid film actress, one of the first female directors and producers in Hollywood. Openly gay in the 1920s, defying the moral and artistic codes of her time, Nazimova comes back to set a story straight and direct Outstanding. I searched and found that video. I said, hey, we got to show that as an Ooh. intro to Rami. Definitely. Thank uh, you. You do a beautiful job. Is, okay, can you show pretty So this where it gets into it, the post that they talk about. And I'm also going to show you a video of the actual Garden of Allah. Oh people. A real place where a lot of good people got together, partied, lived, and had a great, great time. Okay, some of the greatest. Yes, that's number thirty-six, if you will. And uh, it's just, it's just it's a lot of things going on. Now you, there it is. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. There. Oh, look at this. It's a <laughs> red. See, I like, like that. that. I lost um, that dress. I dropped it on the way back from the dry cleaners on on the ground, and <laughs> it's a solo. What's that? It's solo. It's you and you and I and them and they. That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Bravo. Thank you, Ron. My pleasure, madam. Um, Tony, can you please go to 36A, the next one down? And that's the show. That, thank you. There it is. Now, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. That's the real back in the, the real garden of Allah. The real oh. Isn't that you can see people down there in different places and there, everybody looking, having a good time. And now you're taking on this play as a solo, am I correct? Yes, you are. It is a solo show. And as as you can see, it's, it's also uh, the other characters in it are that beautiful uh, videography, um, the beautiful video design by Adam Jesse Burns and this um, beautiful uh, lush score sensitively done by Nick 
composed by Nick T. Moore. So yes. it's an immersive piece of theater. It's a hybrid of film and theater. Um, some people say multimedia. This is, uh, as Nazimova was a real person. She she was a silent movie star. She was one of the first female writers, directors, actors, uh, writers, producers in Hollywood. She was commanding a salary, an unheard of salary. She host of Broadway. She had a Broadway theater named after her on 39th Street by the Schuberts. Um, and she she was written out of the history books for going too far. Um, and the reason I said that this is an immersive piece of theater, a hybrid of film and theater, is that because she lived her life on camera and on stage, she comes back in this show to direct the film of her own life. Um, so it's like a live silent film. And so it's not just this thing running behind me. It's it's a, a beautiful live silent black and white movie directed by uh, a, a wonderful director, Lorca Paris, who also has a multimedia a theater company called uh, Multistages in New York, dedicated to serving underserved communities and um, indigenous and, and uh, has a beautiful musical called Temple of the Souls. At any rate, the fusion of all of us coming together to tell the great story of Alan Azimova and her Garden of Allah, 8080 Sunset Boulevard, the end of the line where it all began, F. Scott Fitzgerald, the great writers, the great you know, some of our viewers are, and unless you love old Hollywood, you may not know their names, but Rudolph Valentino, uh, uh, the great writers, Dorothy Parker. I mean, we all know F. Scott Fitzgerald, I hope. And if not, Google him. Um, these parties were legendary and a place of liberty and independence and freedom. And um, she was, she was, uh, her sexuality was fluid, let's say, oh. in a time where, yes. And uh, so some of those, so this euphemism, this sewing circle was yes. born, which is sort of code for all women's gathering, which was a gay gathering, you know. Um, and these things live on. We're standing on the shoulders of giants that, that spoke out, um, but alone and without a Twitter account. And yet we drive by uh, 8080 Sunset Boulevard and don't even know that this Garden of Allah once stood there, this uh, majesty of Hollywood and liberation, and that her 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 Broadway theater on 8080 Sunset Boulevard, I mean, sorry, on 39th Street near the New York Times building doesn't even have a plaque, didn't know that there was a Broadway theater named after her and that she inspired Tennessee Williams to become a playwright, uh, Eugene O'Neill. So as you can see, I could go on and on. I'm quite That's passionate okay. about her. I love every word. How do you prepare for this play? How do you do that? I got to say, it's like jumping off a high dive. <laughs> and every time before, I get this tickle in my throat. <clears> throat> Every time before I go on and see something like that could happen while you're on stage. <laughs> you could say, oh my God, something good. And they would think it's part of the act. So you a, never know. <laughs> it, and, and who knows? Uh, who knows? But that's 
the beauty and the, the pain of theater and particularly a solo show. But I got to say, I think we all know any performer watching this. And I think they said that Laurence Olivier used to physically get sick before he went on stage, the great Laurence Olivier. And yeah, you feel like every time, why am I doing this? Uh, they also say it's a good thing to have those nerves because if you're feeling that, then you're not just going to phone it in. And I never do. But every time I just think, well, think about what you want to say. Just don't think about yourself, which is something that Nazimova used to say to herself too. Think about what you, what you're trying to say, what you want to speak through the character and let the character speak through you. Uh, love the art in yourself, not yourself in the art, as great teacher Stanislavski taught the method acting to people. Not the method, but I'm, once you get up there, you got to stop thinking of yourself and let be about that. That doesn't always work. And this show is particularly hard because yeah. it is that fusion of film and theater. So if you have that running and say that the person pressing QLab, the and our stage manager, Olivia Wilde, is brilliant and came in and did this in the three days because I came from New York. She picked up that script and thank everything there is that she is so talented and the lighting team and the whole team at Theater West is so smart and so savvy. They learned 150 cues that are running behind me. So say there's a different cue and I'm saying this line and they're, they're doing something else. We could throw each other off, but we work as a team. And, 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 and as Liv and I, Olivia say to each other, if there's a mistake, I'll say, uh, is the character of, you know, Maestro, what is, what film do we have running? She's a Russian you character. A pro? You are a you pro. Know we have each other. What's that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you have to just believe yeah. if there's a mistake, you. These things happen. Like I said, some people think that's part of the show, so they don't really know what it, what it is. Some people, it's true. And I this happened huh? to me, and they're like, well, I didn't even notice. For me, it was like, oh, my God. But, um. How do you, you know, and then you, well, you're grateful when there's a break and you go, yes, I do that. <laughs> we got a few more minutes. I've got four photos we'd like to take a look at. Tony, can you roll number one, please? There you are. Can you tell us what David Wayne Fox photography. Brilliant, brilliant photographer. He, yes. he has captured so many of the key images of this show. Google him. <laughs> okay. Number two, please. David Wayne Fox. That was at a theater called The Cutting Room. Uh, not a theater, it's a 1920s nightclub in New York City. Okay, number three. You can really see the immersive video there because that was at Dixon Place in New York. And the, it's like a Dolby theater. I mean, this, <laughs> so I was enveloped in that film. It was, yeah, lovely. Bad wig then. Okay, number four. Thank you, Tony. And as you can see here, Adam Jesse Burns, who did the video design, oh, oh, it's stultifying me. She's a famous immigrant. And so her Statue of Liberty at the end, and she's also uh, gay by herself. And the Statue of Liberty blossoms into cherry blossoms. You're quite an actor, quite an actor. Okay, location, Theater West, 
3333 Cahuenga Boulevard West, Los Angeles. They have parking. Yes. And you say you have parking. Yes. Tickets, $35 to $40. There's a discount tickets as well. And the, and the parking does come along with it. Discount. So do feel free to, to reach out. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. But do, they're on Gold Star, okay. um, I believe. Um, at any rate, please do reach out to the theater. Tell them Romy sent you. Okay. Tell us about the run from July 7th through July 23rd. Correct. We just had our first three shows. Uh, it was rather all the press was there. Not all the press, but I know because I saw a lot. So um, we're excited to have some good reviews. But if you believe the good ones, you got to believe the bad ones. We all must remember that. Um, <laughs> and then it's true, right? Friday, Saturday, and Sunday we did last week. And then the next two Friday, Saturday, Saturdays, and Sundays. Friday and Saturday at 8 p.m., Sunday at 2 p.m. Um, wonderful people, wonderful theater. Please come. It is a true Valentine to theater, to film, and uh, I'd love to see you. And Ron, I hope you can make it. I would like to. Okay, I give it a shot. Yeah. I'd love to see up on that stage. I certainly would. Yes. It's an experience. Definitely. Definitely. Okay, I see we both have been frozen. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.